This episode of the Council of the First Ones was recorded on March 8th, 2020. Welcome to another episode of Council of the First Ones. I'm your host, Kelly. Joining me today is my good friend, Renee. How are you doing down in Texas, Renee? Well, the weather's finally getting warm. I'm looking forward to summer, and uh, summer means power con, so I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, so am I. Also joining us is Dave from Adult Collector. Hi, great great to be here. And we also have Sean joining us. Hi, great to be back as always, folks. And today we have a very special guest. He used to be the brand manager for Masters of the Universe Classics, found it, well, sort of found it, MaddieCollector.com, Scott Toy Guru Nightlick. Hi, Scott. Hello. Hey, Kelly. Hey, guys. How you doing? <laughs> oh. oh, doing great. Before we uh, jump into the core, I gotta, I got to ask you, you know, I want to know a lot about the history and how you got into it. But uh, now, just really quick, you're, you're jumping on YouTube. What got you into doing these YouTube videos? You know, I think just kind of started with really just kind of doing things like, like this, talking to a lot of the fan sites. Actually, I did a, uh, a podcast with Acme Comics. There's your plug, Acme Comics, uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, a few weeks ago. And I just found, you know, sometimes a lot of the questions I get, are kind of the same sort of top line stuff. And I said, you know what? I should put this stuff out there because a lot of people keep asking me this stuff and there's obviously an audience that wants to hear it. I don't know how big that audience is, but I think I only have like 500 subscribers or something like that. But uh, yeah, you know, it's something also fun to do in my spare time. I'm not, you know, I'm not like doing this, you know, this isn't like, uh, you know, uh, my uh, trying to make money off YouTube or yeah, I don't do Patreon or anything like that. I'm just doing this for fun. And because, yeah, I love talking toys. Well, they are interesting. I, I want to point out to our audience, they are amazing. You are uh, giving a lot of good info. And a lot of it is your history. You know, and part of it, I always found your your background interesting because you are the toy guy. You are the, you had the job or you've had the job a few times of stuff we've wanted to do. You know, we're collectors, but you've been actually in the business. You actually worked on it and all that. and. You know, just out of curiosity, how did you get to where you were at? Sure. So, um, you know, the Spaceballs quick, quick, quick version is uh, I grew up in Southern California and I was very aware of Mattel's presence there because they have a they had a back uh, back sort of in the I guess the late 80s, early 90s. They had a big brick building right off the freeway in Hawthorne, California with the giant red Mattel gear on it. And, of course, when you're a kid and you see that and you're passing it, you're like, oh, my God, there's a toy factory right here. <laughs> so, and then it turned out my father worked with some, my father was in sporting goods, and one of the other VPs in his office was married to an executive Mattel and used to get us the Mattel catalogs there, which I think were really just for retailers. But, of course, for a nine-year-old kid, that's like having like the coolest book you could ever get, Mattel catalog. And I would just, you know, flip through that for, you know, every night. And that basically I kind of, you know, always thought it would be great to work there because, you know, they're local. And I was able to get an informational interview there through uh, my father's connection, through uh, my father's coworker's husband, 
But oh. that after so, so after that kind of sit down interview, I basically said that you know I wanted to go into toys and the toy design. What do I need to do? And they basically told me I needed to get a degree in engineering and become you know kind of a structural engineer and that type of stuff. And I was like, oh well, that's not gonna happen. So <laughs> I guess I'm not gonna work in toys. So I, I took my degree in film and communication from UC Santa Barbara, and I went to work in pharmaceutical advertising. Uh, I, I, my, sort of my goal, I, I knew I wanted to be a writer, and my, really at that point my goal was to maybe one day write a Super Bowl commercial. That was going to be kind of the apex of what I kind of dreamed of doing hmm. right out of college. So I wanted to go into marketing, advertising. I got a job in pharmaceutical advertising for the company Allergan. It's one of those big, giant pharmaceutical companies. Worked there for four years. The whole time, I'm still a collector like you guys. I mean, I'm actively buying stuff. I'm you know, buying Justice League toys and 2000 X Man toys and Simpsons and Lord of the Rings and trying to think what else was out you know, 20 years ago. God, it's been that long. <laughs> and uh, so you know, I'm still collecting and going to Comic-Con on my own or you know, with my, my friends. That was back when you used to just be able to drive down there and walk right into the show. I mean, you had to buy a ticket, but... You could literally drive down there, park, walk in, buy a ticket, and walk into the show, which is you know crazy today because now you have yeah. to you know <laughs> take out a loan and go a year in advance with reservation. Right. So and hope you uh, get the ticket. You hope. Oh yes, and hope you even get a ticket. Exactly. Yeah, I know that's insane. Absolutely insane. <laughs> that's like that's what it's like now compared to what it used to be. Uh, there was one year that I went. I mean, I, I've been going to Comic Con for thirty years. Well. You know, as attendee, a professional exhibitor, I've had like all the roles now. And so back then, just as going as an attendee, I had, uh, I, I, at the time I was uh, dating a girl who was a librarian in uh, Torrance, actually very close to the Marriott where PowerCon is. <laughs> the, the, the library was actually across the street. And so that summer, her library was doing a, um, comic book program to get kids to read, like learn about superheroes. And this is well before, you know, Iron Man and, you know, before comic book heroes kind of went mainstream. This was just like, how can we get kids reading? Oh, let's get them reading comic books. That's a good idea. So I had this huge collection of superhero action figures in addition to He-Man and Star Wars and all the rest. So I designed their lobby display with all of my toys, just a giant display of, you know, Batman and Spider-Man and, you know, various superheroes. Hmm. and I had actually, in, so I, I took pictures of it, and I brought them with me to Comic-Con with the intention of actually showing to them to some people at Image Comics just, as, just for fun because I was a fan of some of those comics, but I found myself in the Mattel booth, as we all do, and <laughs> I happened to be introduced to the brand manager, Eddie Hayden, who is brand managing the Justice League Unlimited line, oh. which I was actively collecting nice. and was a huge fan of. So I said, oh, you know, hey, you should check out these photos I have of this giant library display I did, which you know, had a lot of Justice League Unlimited in it. And he looked at it. He's like, wow, whoa, did you do this for us? I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. So he was very impressed. And But uh, the other thing was I also had my portfolio with of my, oh. the right, you know, my professional portfolio from writing in pharmaceutical advertising. Nice. And I never really expected this, but it turns out pharmaceutical writing copy is very similar to toy in the sense that you have to be able to navigate all of those legal issues, like all the, all the fine print and all the warnings and 
you know, all the requirements and things like that. They're very comparable, shall we say. And I mean, that never even occurred to me. So, you know, he said, hey, you know, we, we're always looking for writers who have that skill set. Would you ever want to come interview at Mattel? I'm like, would I? <laughs> I didn't exactly nice. say it like that. So, yeah, it took about four months till I got an interview. And uh, so drove up to Los Angeles. I was in Orange County, which for those around the country, that's about an hour and a half south. It's actually, Orange County is like right between San Diego and L.A. for those geographically impaired. And um, I know we're talking to a national audience here, not people in <laughs> Southern California. So, uh, yeah. So Still I nice. My, yeah, had the interview, yeah. um, you know, took another like three months uh, before they they moved on everything. But I got a job as a junior copywriter in the Hot Wheels group, which basically meant that I was naming the basic cars and writing the copy on the track sets. You know, like race through the loop and, you know, do the fire jump and defeat the no. dragon. You could do it, kid. <laughs> nice. Stuff like that. But, you know, but it was a lot of fun. And it was, I mean, I was getting paid to write and to write on toys. But now, now the issue, though, was I was like two cubicle rows over from where the action figure group was that was working on Justice League and DC and kind of 2000X He-Man was pretty much dead at this point. But there were a lot of those toys just around because it wasn't that many years old. So it was like, you know, here I am in Willy Wonka's factory and I'm working in the licorice <laughs> you know, store, but I really love gumballs and I can see them right over the edge. (laughs) Like, oh man. So, but you know, I'm still very happy that I'm just even working there and getting to write, you know, do toys. I actually worked on an action figure line in the Hot Wheels group called Modifier, which was kind of Mattel's version of Transformers, uh, although they work as well or sell as well, but that's not important wow. right now. But it was cool to that because I got to name them all and write their bios. And one of them, I actually inspector. It was really cool. Oh, so, interesting. And you could actually find him. He even has a spade on his uh, on his uh, door, if you will, on the nice. profile. So he was like, I insisted on that. <laughs> That's cool. And, I mean, I thought that was the only thing I was ever going to do with that name, that symbol. So who knows? Look how time flies. Yeah. Yeah, that's so that basically that was the start. That's what got me to Mattel. I think that was your question. Yeah, and I I like to ask that question out of people who achieve status because I teach business. Uh, I'm mostly the English teacher, but I also have resume writing and business writing, and I like to tell stories of how people get their jobs. And you, you just asked. You know, you went opportunity. You met the right people, and you were able to talk to them, and that's really impressive. I'm watching your videos. And you mentioned, again, you worked on lines I actively collected without knowing who you were. You know, you did Justice League. And, uh, well, you did the DC license before. And Justice League Unlimited, which I was a fanatic about. I absolutely love collecting those. But now that I got you here, really quick question on those. Uh, Sure, sure. Why is it that, at the time, distribution uh, for toys, or I guess this, this could fall into general questions since... Some of your YouTube videos, you're answering those. Why is it that distribution just went crazy for a while with those lights? Like, I remember I actively looked for certain waves and certain sets of figures that I just could not find anywhere. But yet I would find tons of a different wave, you know, and top of my head, I'm trying to remember there was a three pack that I looked for high and low that had like a fire villain. And, you know, those three packs that were out for a while. There were just some that I just could not find. And same thing like with Batman lines and all that. Some just 
came and went. Like I was lucky enough that you did a, or they did a Batman wave with Catwoman and the Cassandra Kane Batwoman, uh, Batgirl. And I was lucky enough to get those. And then they were gone and they never came back. Did, my, did I make sense? I, I realize I'm fanboy. Yeah, no, no, no. I, like I said, the, the, the unique thing I think about me is that I'm also a collector. It's like the hair club for men. I'm, I'm also a member. <laughs> so I do have that unique experience, and I think this is really what propelled a lot of what I did at Mattel, was I was really one of very, very few, and I would say, like, there's 3,000 people in the company, maybe there were five who, who were like me that were active collectors that were, and I was definitely probably, like, the most ravenous, especially for the action figure category. So yes, I know exactly what you're talking about, and there kind of is an answer. I suppose, really, the direct answer is, one, Mattel, Hasbro, Jax, Spinmaster, none of these companies really have that much control over distribution. Most of distribution is handled by the Walmarts and the Targets and the Amazons and what used to be Toys R Us's and the mom and pops of the world. The reason that you would see some waves showing up very briefly and some just sticking around forever is, and I will give Hasbro credit because they kind of solved this with Marvel Legends. I don't know why we never thought of this. What they're doing with Marvel Legends now, and I'm kind of answering this question backwards, is every wave of Marvel Legends is its own assortment. There's not like a master assortment of that's Marvel Legends, and then, you know, you get wave one, wave two, wave three. So, you know, right now is March 2020, and the two waves at market are the Fantastic Four wave, and the Spider-Man, Vulture, White Rabbit wave. So both of those waves are completely different toys, different assortments, different ordering numbers. When we did DCU Classics, the six-inch line, for example, the way that was run and how every toy line was pretty much run was uh, it was one toy line with um, one assortment number, and all the waves rolled into that. And one of the things I noticed very quickly from running DCU Classics at retail was that retailers didn't know how to order this product. In fact, wave one was a disaster because I know Target in particular put its entire annual order against wave one. Hmm. So if they were going to order, let's say, 100,000 units, I'm making that number up, instead of ordering 25,000 units of wave one, 25,000 wave two, 25 wave three and 25 wave four, they ordered 100,000 units of wave one. That meant wave one stuck around at Target forever, and they barely, if at all, got wave two or three, and it might not even until the following year, because every year there'd be a new assortment number, so they'd have to wait a full year, and maybe wave five was the first wave that shipped under the following year's toy assortment. What eventually I would tell retailers at sales meetings is, for these collector lines, the key is to order light but often. So don't put your whole order in at the, you know, right at the beginning of the year. Put in you know, 20% of your order and then order every few months. And this will ensure you get an assortment of figures and not just one wave with a huge number. So that was how I tried this. But like I said, I give Hasbro total credit because they did solve it by making all of their Marvel Legends with every single wave is a completely different toy number, which literally solves the problem because, uh, you know, if there's ever a backup, like the uh, Captain Marvel movie line didn't sell as well as, say, the X-Men line, but it didn't matter because they weren't related in the computer system. They were too, they were as different as Polly Pocket and Hot Wheels. 
if you will, according to the computer. They were not related. So that's kind of why it happened. Hmm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I remember when the first wave, we were excited about it. And uh, my wife saw it at Target. You mentioned Target. Yeah, that's where I got him. And she grabbed the whole set for me. And then I remembered the struggle I had with the next set, the next set, and the next set. So you did clear it up. And I guess that goes same thing with the Justice League Unlimited for a while. Because for a while, I couldn't find those figures. And then we were drowning in them. And then they kind of went crazy with the box sets and these special editions. And I guess it worked out, you know, at the end. But that's where I was like, kind of like when I was watching your YouTube videos, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And your second wave was just solid, you know, with, uh, and that's where you did the YouTube video, you know, Deathstroke was a beautiful figure, you know, even today, you know, it still holds up today with all the advancements we had. And you're, that's my favorite Robin, my favorite Nightwing, you know, Sinestro, I remember fighting. And that, to me, made it exciting, you know, that I had to go and look for different versions. Yeah, and I mean, and it's, it's funny how that was such a big thing back then, the whole variant figure concept. And now, like, you, people don't even do that. Well, it's hard. You know, it's well, still like there. Marvel Legends, Marvel, I don't like Marvel Legends and, and uh, like, Star Wars Black series don't even have variants. I mean, if, there was that carbonized thing they did, but that was a different assortment. Like, you know, there's not, there's, there aren't chase variants that were the way like Toy Biz did with the unmasked Wolverine, if you will. You know, it's it's a hard thing. Like, you did post up, like, the Deathstroke with the mask and without the mask. Right. And I guess part of me always said, well, you should have, why couldn't we get one where you switch the heads? And that's probably how it would be done, yeah, today. Yeah. They would just include both heads. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I realize now, yeah, that's toy trends. And I think things had to evolve to get there. And. I saw your video where you do kind of talk a little bit about McFarland toys and the size difference, you know, since we're jumping on, it's kind of why I'm not getting into it. You know, I, I did buy a Superman and Batman. Great figures. I speak about they're great, but they are missing something. You know, I still have the classics, you know, I still have my classics uh, from Mattel and those were nice. These ones are good, but there's something quite not there. And I, I do have to wonder from a professional standpoint if the scale they're doing them at, which is seven inches, may be a legal requirement because the DC, Mattel had the master toy license DC. And I also do a video on my Spectre Creative channel talking about something called splicing, which is sort of a new trend in the toy industry where instead of a master toy license of one company getting it, the IP holders are splitting it up you know, in all sorts of ways, between sales and distribution and material. So I wonder if, because Spin Master also has a big chunk of the DC license. Mm -hmm. So, like, my guess is that McFarlane may have, that, like, their requirement may be 12 plus 7 inches and above, something like that. Mm. Well, Spin I, Masters I is yeah. doing uh, 6-inch figures, but they're not articulated. Right, so that may, like that may be part of the way the license is split up. McFarland may not have been able to get six inch. They may have only been able to get seven inch articulated. I, I don't know. That's kind of the way license, that's like on the licensing side these days. We know that you've posted your videos, how, how you got the line started. But one thing I was thinking when I was watching your video and you explained the risk you had and 
you know, how the people at Mattel were not exactly on board with you. Uh, and now I keep thinking about the what ifs and I think what ifs are going to come up. What would have happened if things didn't go your way? Would you have still pushed for it if they just said, no, Scott, we're not going to do it? Oh, what, like like they they didn't want to, you know, do that. Yeah, instead, you know, when you were pushing the line, you showed the figure, you showed the Four Horsemen uh, prototype that they made. What would have happened, do you think, or do you think eventually would you have been able to get this figure out in some other way if they just said no originally? Or do you think that would have died? No, yeah, no, it probably would have died. I'd like when I mean, I when I say when when I'm saying they said no, we're talking like you know the head of the entire boy, you know, the the VP of all boys' toys is who's looking at this stuff. So you know, it's not like you can go over their head to the president of the company or something. You know, I mean that that was it. It was basically if if that person said no, then yeah. I mean, they, one of the things is you know you guys have seen all the stuff that did make it. I can't tell you how much stuff didn't make it. I mean, there's way more stuff that didn't make that they did say no to. You know, <laughs> if you will, you're only privy to what did make it and was public. I would say, you know, for every figure you see and you buy, there's probably three or four that got proposed that that didn't make it. This sounds like a good uh, idea for uh, one of your videos. Yeah, I should the beans. Well, well, <laughs> since we're talking on that, God, I mean, I remember talking to you at the cons and asking you at the panels and all that. One of the the questions that always, always gets to me is that earlier on, you know, you said there was compromise and all that. If you had more power, let's just say, you know, they were more willing, give you more tooling bucks, more right off the bat. How would that first year have been for you? I mean, did you Um, envision vehicles and all that already? We did, and you'll actually, I'm going to have put some of the B-sheets up in the videos in the next couple weeks of the first few years. I mean, we definitely, not in year one, I mean, you're never going to like do vehicles and play sets in the first year because you've sort of got to prove at least there's an audience. But I mean, I think, you know, there might have been some more fully tooled figures if we had more tooling dollars. You know, Ram Man would have been great for year one, but he was... 100% 100% new tool and pretty much a one-time, one-use figure. Um, I mean, eventually we created Hans, Hans Hammer Holder as an excuse to reuse the tooling, but never got to a figure of him. Um, and I think some of his parts were used in Tuscador. But, yeah, I mean, that, you know, it was basically the first year you had to, you know, prove there was a market. And if, if I had unlimited budget, I mean, you know, yeah, there's a lot. I, there were, I think you would have seen a lot more, because the first year was a lot of, basic figures you know you had triclops and you had scareglow and you had you know all these characters that didn't require that many new parts they just sort of needed new heads and new armor so that was kind of how we were able to get through the first year and prove that there was a market well you know when when the classics was being developed initially was there any talk of the scale like was there any consideration of whether to make them seven inch or go with like a 5.5 inch what was that discussion like originally what became classes was just going to be an ex- a continuation of the 2000x line um I, you know, I said in a couple of videos that uh the, the first figure king grayskull was going to use a lot of parts from ice armor he-man from the 2000x line so the, the way I originally pitched the line to management was to just keep 2000x going and basically you know, to prove there was a market for that, we were going to put out King Grayskull, and then if he mm-hmm. sold well, 
we were going to try to keep putting out more 2000X figures, but just put them out through the what became the Maddie Collector channel, meaning selling them online directly to fans because retail wasn't going to take it. All of that changed when the Horsemen brought that sculpt to Comic-Con, mm-hmm. and we saw that, and that was basically what set the scale and the standard because we were just like, oh, forget this. Let's just start over you know, from, with, you know, huh. from ground one and do this because that's way cooler. I wanted to mention, you know, it's really interesting that it, the original plan was to go back to 2000X, but yet all of those years that passed with classics, uh, there were many uh, stable characters, you know, these these primary 2000X characters that we never got. We never got a an actual 2000X uh, Evil Inn or a, you know, 2000X Prince Adam or 2000X He-Man or Skeletor or 2000X Beast Man. I can go on. Well, I think some of that is, and I remember I should write down that these are like good ideas for future videos. <laughs> 2000X was an artistic style. It was an interpretation. Now, I know we eventually did do like that head pack. So mm-hmm, right. one of the ideas, well, really the idea was, one, there were people that at Mattel that were very against 2000X at the time Classics launched because it was still very fresh, and to them it was a fresh wound because mm. while we all love the line, it was basically considered a failure because it didn't do the you know millions and millions of dollars mm-hmm. that uh, you know that it was hoped it would. Do. So because of that feeling, 2000X you know, like you basically you know had to kind of shy away from that. Mm. And again, it really was you know if you look at just take I mean any kid you know Skeletor, classic Skeletor was or you know 2000x was basically i think i used to say you you, like you had this machine and you would take vintage skeletor and put it in the machine and what you'd press one button and you'd get 2000x Mm. another button in classics and the whole thing was 2000x was an artistic interpretation of the vintage line so was classic so yeah i mean it was like separate but equal like it was a we weren't making six-inch, highly articulated characters based on the 2000X style. We right. were making highly articulated figures that were a different interpretation of the cla- of the vintage line, which was basically an idealized, art- you know, artistic version. Hmm. Now, my plan in the long run was basically to wait out this whole negative feeling about 2000X, and that did go away after five or six once the line started doing well, I would say probably after Castle Grayskull, when people started seeing the line as, oh, it's actually doing well and getting headlines. <laughs> and that's why we were able to do things like the head pack. And kind of the whole idea was we were going to, you know, by when I left the line, I think in 14, 15, we knew we were running out of characters. I mean, yeah, you know, there's like D-list filmation and mini comic characters you can always do, but they never sell as well as Skeletor, Merman, and He-Man. So the, the idea in the long run, if the line was going to keep going through like 2020, was to then, that was why we used the Filmation series. It was basically mm-hmm. an excuse to do all of the A-list characters again. Right. And then the idea was we were going to do a 2000X line uh-huh. of six inch. So it was kind of like, and now we can do all of the A-list characters yet another time. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you laugh, but it's like the whole point is to sell as many toys as possible and to make as much money right. for Mattel, but also to get as many toys to collectors. So, yes, I mean, you had classics, and then we could have done... Filmation was just 
you know, a 2.0. It was another, it was another artistic interpretation of these characters as toys that you just kind of didn't see that play out because when I left, everything fell apart. Mm-hmm. So we never got to that, but that was the plan. The whole reason for that filmation line was it was an excuse to do all the characters again. And then once that ran out, we could have done everything in 2000 X style and done the crazy armor and like, you know, the, the wacky limbs and all that stuff. So, right. I I'm literally weeping over here for that because man, like it's funny to think, you know, the, the line that classics is started with a 2000 X character though, to me, because you know, you would think it would be he man and he would just, you know, and it's like to start with King Grayskull with all the bad taste that Mattel had towards the 2000 X and get that going in a direction is interesting to me uh, on that level. But now that you said that, now my mind is blown open because now I'm like, well, if you did 2000X, would they have still been the classics typical style in the way that you envisioned it? Or would they have allowed for, you said they would have had the bigger weapons and stuff. Would they have also like Buzz Off, for instance, would he have had like the more insect limbs the way that he was in 2000X too? Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, I mean, that was the, that oh, was the whole idea. Was to, oh. so we had to like that's the best to, and yeah. worst answer ever. <laughs> but and no, I mean I left. Those were the plans that I left Mattel, but they oh. like ignored everything that I left them. Uh, I, I I'll, I'm gonna tell you like like classics is like such a passion. Now that I've gotten into the line, I'm so happy that 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 line has been introduced. But that was the only thing I could think of that was like the sticking point of. I really wanted those insectoid limbs on Buzz Off and some of that. And, and it's like the Buzz Off figure. He's beautiful. There's no way around it. But when I look at him, I'm like, I really want him to look insect-like. And, and like Web Store, I liked how he looked in 2000X. And, and then now you say that, I'm like, oh, man. Like everything I was hoping that I'd get with the line on top of already what was great about it. Man, that would have sent it over the top. But that's one of the reasons. Sorry to cut you off that I actually don't like the 2000 X heads on classics because they didn't, it was like mix, it was mixed match. They weren't designed to have those heads. And the whole point was to eventually get to doing all the characters. Yeah. Like giving buzz off an insectoid body and they having Prince oh, Adam man. be small, not just female. Uh-huh. Like that yeah. was the plan. And so basically in 2016, we were introducing the filmation line and then in 2017, we were going to be introducing the 2000X styled, highly articulated figure. And it was again, it was ju- it was a way to just now sell He-Man and Man at Arms again. Um, you know, yeah. because we knew this was demanded, and it was purposely spaced out so that we could do that because you can't put them out at the same time. You know, you, you know, filmation wow. came out as classics was sort of the sun was. That was actually you remember that print ad, the whole all toy lines must die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That was the whole start of that process. I had this three-year marketing plan of how we were going to phase out classics in order to phase in Filmation and 2000X, except I left and they never went forward with my plan. Oh, I see. So you basically saw the front end of the plan where I said all toy lines must die, but you never got to see the payoff. Oh, that classics is going to kind of go away. We'll still maybe do a couple of them a year, maybe at Comic Con, but you're going to get filmation now 2000X. Well, I was going to ask, wasn't that the problem like with the vintage? Because I remember in like uh, the documentary they have on Netflix, 
that they said the line was successful. It was making, you know, really well, a lot of money. And then one of the problems, and I thought maybe this is the problem that the, the Mattel one was having with classics, was that after all these years, we've had these characters and new people couldn't get on the line. New people who just found out about this. And I, even today, 2020, there's still people who just barely discovered the classics and they're, they can't get the, the core figures. And I remember that was an issue. But then every once in a while, you know, Maddie Collector would release a He-Man, a first one, and they would have the original sticker on him with a, and then it became like, uh, it was taking up slots of uh production time but still collectors new collectors couldn't jump in so do I know, you think I, that would have fixed I, yeah. it yeah I, I know exactly what you're talking about and yeah i mean that that's sort of the key to running a successful line is to have all the new characters but to also make sure you're no one's going to start their line with snout spout you know <laughs> so like you need oh to we need to talk about him sir <laughs> but, yeah, you've got to make sure He-Man and Skeletor and Beast-Man and Man-at-Arms and Teela are always out there, and that that's exactly it. That's why the whole Filmation and 2000X style were about to come to market, because it was going to address exactly that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and even then, you know, they, they I don't want to say we had toxic fans, because uh, whenever people say, you know, because was, this was the era of complaining, and the a lot of it was... Of complaining. Yeah, and it was directed <laughs> for you. Which, whenever I, I saw this complaining, I was like, "Have you seen the Star Wars forms? They're worse." But you know, part of it was, I think, the issue was that the line lasted so long. You know, I mean, it's historic how long it lasted—ten plus years. I would have been kind of, you know, something. You would have done that. I imagine there's an alternate universe where you're still there. You know. The line would have continued, and you would have done a 2000X line, which I would imagine a 2000X Tila in a classics figure form would have been absolutely beautiful. And people would still be complaining and (laughs) ripping on it, saying, no, but I want the original Tila. There's no winning. Well, and actually, even just to micro-address that, there was also the plan not to do what Super 7 did, which is what they did the ultimate ultimate, but it was more to do like sort of the core 10 characters and offer them at basic price points, but just do them completely again, but just make slight changes. Like, I mean, like you said, in the 10 years, the line went by the end, you know, we were starting to introduce wrist articulation, um, you know, so He-Man could hold his sword. The original He-Man never had that. Uh, The original Tila had issues where like, I think her, waist didn't turn or I think it was because her um her outfit was baited the the material was too thick so mm-hmm. one of the other plans was to basically have a line of just the A-list characters but do them in exactly classic style but just slightly updated so you didn't piss off the old fans that had the figure the original release but you could satisfy the pent-up demand for can I just get a classic Tila I don't want bikini Tila I don't want you know the the version that fly well like we sort of did that with the uh talent fighter that was kind of our first approach to doing that was you know to find ways to do the you know core characters refreshed but just slightly different but still classic makes sense 
Yeah, and that would have been great, but uh, again, you, the talent fighter Tila was great on paper, but yeah, that that figure, man, she had issues. <laughs> oh well, yeah, no, I can I can only take credit for putting that down as something that to be done. All of the production of that happened after I left. It, yeah, like I said, once I left, people, I mean, it just went haywire. Well, the question I, I always had was why or uh, well i guess why and why was it that these figures i mean it was always one criticism of you during this time was kind of a a no attitude from you where we were like hey can we have this no can we (laughs) you know it did come off a little bit like that and then the other part was the other issue with the no was that retail you know, was there ever really much talk? Because I remember people kind of complained, saying that when people wanted these on retail, and I know Toys R Us did do those two packs with DC figures, but if these went to retail, you know, it was always kind of like, again, a no attitude. Was there ever serious discussions of putting the classics into toy shelves? Like oh, just by themselves? Nobody wanted them. Yeah, no, we tried. Nobody wanted them. No no retailer wanted them. That is sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, the reason I was saying no, it wasn't because I was saying no, because, like, no, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> if I was saying no, and maybe I should have caveated this, it was usually because I already tried that, <laughs> and I couldn't get it to happen. So, you know, just like I said at the beginning, you know, for every toy you saw, there were probably four toys that, you, that we tried to have made that you never saw. It's the same thing. Like, yeah, everything the fans wanted – we were trying. We, we, you know, we pitched it to Target and Walmart and Toys R Us, and yeah, nobody wanted it. Was there like a specific reason, or just generally no, like price uh, there was points? No enter- you think? Basically, no entertainment. There was no cartoon and no movie. Um, and mm-hmm. Mass retailers pretty much have zero interest in a toy line that doesn't have current entertainment. See, and that's why I think it was ahead of its time because now there's collector corners, and, yeah, and there's well, all this, you know, and. I just think the toy line was just ahead of its time. In a lot of ways, it was. I mean, look at Castle Grayskull compared to, like, you know, the sail barge in Hasway. You know, mm-hmm. when they put that out, they were taking all this credit and saying, oh, you know, for the first time ever, we're doing a giant thing that's fan-funded. And I'm like, yeah, we did that 10 years ago. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great comparison. You know, I, I really wanted to get your impressions on where Masters of the Universe has gone since your tenure with Mattel. And all in all these different directions, and with the the new cartoons, the movie hopefully that will come out, Origins, uh, and Super Seven's involvement. Um, I mean, you know, as a He-Man fan, as a, fan, a Motu fan, I'm just, you know, I'm thrilled to see stuff, you know, coming out. Um, you know, for me, from a toy perspective, it, it's the six-inch classics line, and to you know, it's like, how many He-Man lines do I need to own? So something like the Origins yeah. <laughs> line, I have zero interest in that because I already I have 250 characters all in scale to each other, all in the same world. I don't have any desire to start over from ground zero, you know, with a different scale, that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So like the Super 7 stuff, they, same thing with like the 3 and 3 fourths that Super was doing. I didn't collect those because, I mean, I got a couple just as like one-offs, but you know, I wasn't all in because I was all in on classics and I have mm-hmm. my He-Man toys. Um, you know, I thought the Super 7 stuff was great. I mean, they, it was great that they could spend so much money on tooling, uh, you know, do so many characters that a lot of times, you know, Mattel is a bigger company couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, their productions and 
plastic quality aside, I mean, I could definitely, I remember when I first got the first figures, I could definitely feel a big difference right. in them. Um, you know, just from handling the Mattel stuff for so many years, it's like, you know, you, you really, you just get to know, like, <sighs> you know, the touch and the feel so much. Mm-hmm. As far as the new entertainment, you know, I, th- I think it's just great that, you know, there's anything He-Man out there. I think that it's very, it's a very, very difficult brand to tell stories for outside of the adult collector audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I know the She-Ra cartoon on Netflix did well, and I know they've got two more He-Man shows coming, and, you know, this live-action movie that I must have read 16 scripts over my years and met <laughs> multiple directors and become friends with some of them. Jeff Waldo nice. uh, was going to be directing it. He and I became really good friends because of his involvement. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I-, I wish them all the luck in the world. I do. I, you know, I-, I don't think they're necessarily doing the right steps, maybe, but at least they're trying. Right. Well, let me ask you, since you jumped on the movies, and at PowerCon, I asked you that at the panel, you know, like how close, but now... You just mentioned you read scripts, and I've read a few that I have to say were terrible. And I got to ask you, were there any that you think the fans would have loved? Because that's the one thing we've debated on this show and uh, in groups and all that, that, you know, a movie comes out, it's going to cause a lot of controversy no matter what. And so you being a fan, have you looked at any of them that you think would have made a uh, made Motu proud that would have that you could have said yes this is the spirit this would have done well well you're gonna laugh at this answer but yes there was one the one i wrote (laughs) (laughs) you're right (laughs) so i i wrote a feature length he-man live action uh it was amazing it was in my opinion perfect it did everything you said it kept it would have kept the fans happy it would have opened it up to kids it actually followed the geography of Eternia. The things that were located next to each other were located next to each other in the movie, and it followed a logical path. It, had, it was based around the triangular relationship between Adam, Man-at-Arms, and Tila, where you know, Adam is in, has the romantic relationship with Tila, Tila has the father-daughter relationship with Man-at-Arms, and Man-at-Arms has the um, you know, trainee, tra- uh, you know, apprentice, or, you know, not apprentice, but what your relationship with Adam. So that mm-hmm. triangular relationship was the emotional heart of the film. And it was actually told from Marlena's point of view coming from Earth in order to hmm. um, Interesting. sort of bring, like she, she was kind of like, like in the first X-Men movie, how Wolverine is, is the audience, if you will, mm-hmm. brought into this world. So you're brought into Eternia through Marlena. It actually opens on Earth with nice. Marlena and her rocket. And, uh, I, I basically, I, I wrote the first like 50 pages and then I wrote an outline for the remainder and I put together a whole book of visuals and maps and characters. I mean, there, there weren't overwhelming number of characters, but you actually got your Buzz-Offs and your Beast-Man and your Merman. Yeah, it was one of the best scripts I think I've ever written. When are we going to see it? That, yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that's, it, that's what well, I'm I gotta tell, say. I got to tell you, I took a, a screenwriting class and I wrote one. I'd trade with you. You know, I want to trade my screen. <laughs> I'll probably do a video about mine because, yeah, I mean, it's oh, not cool. like it'll ever get made. So, and yeah, I didn't yeah. write it like for Mattel. I wrote it for myself. Well, one, I got to ask you about, you know, since you kind of brought up looking at toys, and I do think there was an evolution. You know, I mean, um, we had complaints. I, I, and I did suffer from a few 
broken figures when uh, I did get the Mattel ones. I did, um, you know, get uh, some uh, frustration with the reverse shoulders, and I and you you've owned up to them. But one, okay, one which was my one of my favorite characters that I don't think got a good explanation, and I have to ask you about Snout Spout. <laughs> What was oh, up with that? The snout, snout spout yeah, con- the snout con- controversy was just <laughs> sure. I, no, there, there is an answer to that. So basically, um, to, to answer the larger picture first, all of those production news, whether it was reverse shoulders or you know limbs breaking off, all of it was basically answerable to one factor, and that was that the Motu Classics line and Maddie Collector in general was not a line Mattel was capable of ever producing because it was too damn small. Mattel is set up to do billion-dollar brands and huge brands like Barbie and Hot Wheels and Batman and WWE. Their entire infrastructure is set up to produce, ship, and make, the right order, make, produce, ship, whatever, that kind of product to millions of people around the world. When you're trying to do a line like Maddie Collector, with very low run, with highly detailed you know, aspects that the collectors want, that completely goes against the grain of, I'm not saying what Mattel is um, philosophically, I'm talking about physically, their infrastructure, their logistics. When I would always say about logistics, is, that's kind of what I was talking about, was Mattel was not, they're, they're like the big gorilla in the room, and if you give the big gorilla a bunch of eggs to juggle, and he's used to juggling big basketballs, he's going to break the egg, because he's meant to juggle basketballs, because he's a giant gorilla. So that's kind of why those, as far as the specifics for snout spout, it was because the plastic for his snout, I think, was the same plastic for his loincloth because we couldn't afford to do two different types of material because, again, logistics. Like Mattel was, not, you know, it was, it was too big of a company to be able to, like, you know, to drill down to, like, a collector-level figure like that and have like six different types of material on one figure because that would have just blown the cost out of the water. So compromises had to be made. And one of those being, okay, you get two types of plastic. You get the plastic for the body and the plastic for the loincloth, which can also be the trunk. And yeah, unfortunately, on the trunk, it did, uh, sorry, the loincloth could also be called trunks, isn't it? Um, it <laughs> yeah, it didn't always last or work right. But that was basically, that was the literal reason for that. And the larger picture was what I just said was, it was just really, 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 really difficult to do such a tiny line at such a big company, which is why Super 7, I think, was the better choice to work on it. And I do appreciate, you know, that you did explain it. And I do, you know, later, years later, we got the 2000X head, you know, which helped it, you know. Uh, luckily, you know, I, I remember my, you know, cause my frustration because I was very, very neat about my figures. And I loved my snout spot because he was my last vintage Motu figure. So that's why he kind of holds a special place. And I had him on display. I never touched the trunk. I never did anything to him. I just had him on display. And then I remember like six months later, I saw it on Pulse Groups and all that, that the trunk's breaking and all that. And I was thinking, well, they're just twisting it too much and all that. But one one summer, I remember I walked by my collection and i looked over and yeah he had a big massive tear in that trunk and i was like oh i wanted to cry 
and you know, and luckily and I back, found fixes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I would have like it's sort of like if in hindsight, if I knew that was going to happen, I would have said, okay, well, just make the trunk out of plastic and don't make it bendable in order to avoid that. You know, that's actually one of the reasons that Octavia didn't get bendable tentacles because we were trying to avoid those kind of issues. Yeah, and I always spoke out against bendable material because I've had a few vintage bendable toys and they break. You know, they always have broken on me. I don't know about others, but, you know, it's it's certain toys don't last in the vintage, you know, because they weren't thinking long term. I'm always trying to think, you know, what this last forever? How long, you know, before they break down? Because, you know, there's original Barbies that have bleached and they're leaking this oily stuff because they didn't make stable plastics or, you know, there's certain ones uh, like Mego figures who are turning gray because again, the plastics and vintage Motus are, their legs are warping because the rubber bands rotting. And so I always try to think long-term of these toys. And, yeah, you, you, and I always felt you guys did. You know, like we, we definitely tried, um, you know, yeah, it's like, I think Octavia was kind of the answer to that, but then it's funny how you do that figure and then everyone yells at you because she doesn't have, you know, bendable tentacles. So, it was it was always a tough battle between pleasing the fans, getting something to work within the production logistics of Mattel, and you know making it look good and work. And yeah, it was it was there was never a uh, you know a one solution that was just going to work. I want to uh, thank you for making all the beat make for the classic line, but I'm curious, was there any discussion of making an attack track for the classic line? The, an attack track vehicle? Yes. Is that what you're at? Um, I yeah. mean, we, we were basically doing one vehicle a year, and we would have gotten to, you know, probably, you know, I mean, it was definitely on the rollout for, you know, 16, 17, 18. I don't remember exactly. Um, but, yeah, it's, again, once I left. But it's funny when I, I was so shocked the Roton happened because that was basically right on the line of me leaving. And I was like, well, they're never going to spend the tooling on that. But I think that it was so far into production when I left that like, they had to make it or they would have lost more money. So I always you sort of joke, I think I said this at the panel at PowerCon, that, that the Roton was just like really a gift. You guys, like, we should all feel lucky that that got made because uh, that really, like, it basically just sort of squeezed out before everything collapsed. Oh, I was going to say, in, the, in that video uh, that you were talking about the top 10 uh, figures you w- wish you could have made for uh, Masters, the fact that the Skeleton is an army builder in the Roton, and then to find out, oh, it wasn't just going to be planned for just the way that we knew. It was going to be a winged one on top of that that we could have army built as a single figure. It's like, man, the the stuff that you find out about this, and it's like, what could have been, you know? I mean, a freaking a Skeleton looking like that would have been amazing, too. So Yeah, and that, that was... Yeah, and the whole idea was the wing is going to be used the Dactus wing, and then they just would have been removable. So if you mm-hmm. didn't want him to have wings, just pull the wings out. You, you know, you want wings, that way you could have both. When I saw the Skeleton, yeah. when, when I got the Roton, and I saw that it didn't have, because it was supposed to have the even the, the single version in the Roton was supposed to have the holes, if you will, for the wings. Uh-huh. The same. And when I saw the holes weren't there, I'm like, oh, they killed the single carded release, didn't they? Uh... So, Well, one thing, too, you, you mentioned, like, what could have been. You know, Snake Mountain was a Mattel design, and 
they talked about it. We saw the prototypes and all that Mattel. And I think we saw the box. I'm not sure. You know, I, I would swear that we saw the box in a background. And yet it went to Super 7. And Super 7 still had to, you know, because I spoke to Ryan. And he talked about the headaches getting that thing done. You know, how would you have handled the Snake Mountain? You know, because you've mentioned before how Castle Grayskull gave you headaches. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing we would have done is we would have at least had a deposit put down. Um, with Castle Grayskull, there wasn't, no, you know, you paid for it when it shipped. And a lot of people didn't pick up their castle, if you like, left us with a bunch of castles. And that really uh, messed a lot of stuff up. So really, yeah, yeah, I think the biggest difference, I mean, it would have been very similar to how we did Castle Grayskull. We just would have asked for probably 30% or 20% of the, of the purchase price up front, um, unlike Hasbro that wants 100% interest-free loan for all their HasLab stuff. Um, I think that's a little much to ask. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that at least would have guaranteed that people were going to, you know, pay the remainder and actually pick up their product when it came in. But, yeah, it would have been handled. We were actually supposed to do the, the um, slime pit first and then Snake oh. Mountain. And that way it was going to come with the, the slime He-Man that uh, Val did for PowerCon, which I was like, oh, man, they made this figure. That was on the roadmap. Nice. So. <laughs> and, again, that hurts. <laughs> that hurts just hearing slime pit was in the cards. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I well, think it was on that beach. Everybody is getting hurt today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's part of it is that, you know, when I, I caught the B sheet and I seen glimpses of it and I just keep thinking, you know, if only, you know, things happened a little differently. If only, you know, Maddie Collector was still there. If only you were still there. You know, I, I would have loved to have seen the completion of the new adventures line. That's another one. You know, Sagittar was one that I always wanted and I loved his design. I love new adventures designs. I never collected them, but I did like their designs and I would have, and they translated well to the classics and I guess better than you'd expect. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. How great they were. And I, I remember at a comic con, I bugged you about Mara before, you know, (laughs) and I was like, when are you going to do Mara? When are you going to do Mara? (laughs) And you were polite. Yeah, that's right. You, this was before. This was like years before. You were polite. You just said, okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to her. Thank you. You know. And then after well, I think up, uh, like, I want Taurus. Taurus? Was, was on that, that 2016 B, uh, B sheet, if you look carefully. You had a bunch. I remember. I just wanted them all. And instead, we had to vote for one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we were, I mean, the, again, like the line was planned out for several more years with, you know, those refreshes to keep it going. But when I left, nobody took over the line and it just, you mm-hmm. know, fell apart. And we never got a Spectre Mobile. <laughs> and we never got the whip, but the only accessory right. ever shown that, like, I just, I felt like it wasn't right to push for that <laughs> because people, I think, would have thought it was an ego thing. But All it right. still kills me to this day that Spectre doesn't have his whip. Well, well, and it, I, guess. I, I just I just want to mention briefly the the one thing that was like my big regret with classics is we never got a new goddess figure since the crotches on all the goddess figures exploded. I'm so again, look, look, at, look at that 2016 D sheet. You will see there's a green goddess 2.0 on that. 
Oh man! Oh, <laughs> like I'm surprised people haven't like paused it and like torn that sheet apart. I expected like people yeah. were gonna like that was gonna be a whole thread into itself. But yeah, it's right on there. Well, I'm actually waiting for the JPEG to come. <laughs> you know, I've been looking for it. But David, I did, I did, get on that. I did, yeah, right. come on, David, make one. <laughs> but, but part of it, I always kept thinking. You know, you talked about how you would do a a, a 2000x line. Were you going to import? Were you going to include that in the bios? How were you going to explain that in the bios? Oh, it would have. It, it wouldn't have been part of the like the filmation and the 2000x line would have been like a different universe. Okay, so you were going to go with the multiverse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so you might have invented it. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, they're using it now in the comics. I don't know if you're reading the comics. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That, yeah. Exactly. That, there was no way you were going to acclimate all of that into one. Like you know. Oh yeah. And then everyone buzz off suddenly mutated and became more insect like. Like no, no, no. That's like a different universe. <laughs> Well, that's Man. part of what we've we've been feeling has kind of happened because you know they added bios in uh, like the movie figures and we we're like okay they were kind of there and they kind of explained why He Man looked like the movie He Man, but then I kept saying was that necessary you know and I'm glad to hear that you who created the bios would have said uh, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, live action, that would have been, yeah, that would have been another universe. I mean, basically, if it was in classic style, it was one universe. And if it was filmation, like the whole, I mean, the filmation figures that we did, the Nate, that, that was not part of classics. That was a different, separate but equal line with a separate but equal bio. Uh, okay, okay. I, I just want to, like, it's a little offshoot on the master stuff. It's more about the Spectre aspect. Uh, I the fact that you're branding, you know, the Spectre Creative now, and then to also find out that you had the Hot Wheels uh, car Spectre, and that was under your thing. What I don't know if you ever uh, addressed this in any way, interview wise or not. What is the appeal of the Spectre name for you at this point? Because I, I didn't realize it was a branding until I saw these videos start coming out on YouTube, and I'm like, oh, it's not just Mighty Spectre. It's this is something that you you're passionate about that name. <laughs> yeah. Um, it basically, I mean, it was like ever since I was a kid, like whatever business I was, you know, like running with my, if it was running a detect, you know, neighborhood detective agency or okay. a dog walking <laughs> service or whatever. In fact, you can go to the street where my parents live and in the, in the sidewalk, you will see the word specter with a spade carved into the sidewalk from when I was like nine years old. So, um, yeah, it was, I mean, it, it wasn't just the character. It was basically, like, when I thought I was going to make movies, it was going to be Spectre production. So gotcha. when I formed my, okay. my, my consulting company, it became Spectre Creative. I like that. I like that you pulled something from your past along with you, and it's just that's your nom de plume or whatever at this point to do anything. That's that's really cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I, it was the first time I got the when I got the business card and the logo, and I was just like really smiling. I'm like, oh man, that's cool. Like it lives. That's great. yeah. Well, touching on your completely on your Spectre Creative, um, you you put in toy trends and trends in your video, and you do kind of touch on what do you think is the trend. And looking at what Masters of the Universe is doing now, and I feel they're kind of hitting more vintage. They they want to pull the the vintage more 
or make you feel back like when you were a kid. That's why they look a little bit more like the toys. Uh, do you think that's a way to go, or do you think they should have just brought back classics and gone in into a new design route? Oh, I think they made it. I think it's a terrible idea. I think that the the line they're doing is what I would call a sofa bed. It's not quite a collectible. It's not quite a toy uh, kid product. It's something in between. And whenever you do that, you get something that's neither and it's just not functional. Uh, you know, kids need toys to, you know, it's like you either do, you know, Imagine X Masters for kids or you do classics for the adult collector. Doing something in the middle doesn't have an audience. And I don't know what they're thinking. Well, part of it, do you, I mean, I could tell that they're trying to hit that vintage. That's, that's their way, I think. But, you know, there's always the thought that, Maybe they should have gone back, but, you know, we got new stuff coming. Do you think, like, maybe they should go back to classics? Oh, completely. I, you, you know, you don't broke, don't uh, fix what's not broken. They should have absolutely just kept doing, you know, like I said, or they should have, you know, refreshed it with Filmation or 2000X, but they should have kept with the six-inch scale that all of my Marvel Legends and my DC and my Star Wars Black series, they're all at six-inch, so they can live together. This wow. new line—I mean, this new line was cr- was was not created by toy fans. It was mm. created by a spreadsheet, uh, and you, you can tell that because they went to Target and they saw those Batman D Primal uh, World toys, and they saw what Funko was doing with the Freddy and the Jason and the Thundercats, trying to use five-inch He-Man as a form factor, which is fine, which is cool, but that's not a thing, <laughs> and they're. Mattel is very much like, oh, that's working over there. Let's do that quick before the trend dies. And yeah, this was not made by people who understand toys. This was made by a spreadsheet. That's what I was thinking, actually. <laughs> well, if they were to go, but try to go back to classics, is there any concern that too many of the molds would be lost or damaged? I know that Super 7 had a bit of trouble where they they went to start up some uh, m- some classics figures and some of the molds were they just couldn't use anymore. They had to you know pay for the tooling for a new like uh, you know some new accessories or or body parts things like that. Well, they paid for all this tooling for the Origins line, so you know hey they pay for the tooling for another classic line. True. Yeah. Very yeah. good point. Uh, as as somebody who handled the brand and everything, do you feel at this point in the line there's too much of a of a reliance on vintage versus pushing it forward to something more? Because classics definitely amped it up the game and brought something that both new and old could look at and go, "This is amazing." And now they're going back to the vintage. Do you feel there's too much of a reliance in general of going back to that aesthetic because the line hasn't been able to grow since 2000X? Well, I think that in terms of character selection, you always have to look at, you know, the vintage line and, you know, keeping those core 20 characters as well out there. Um, As far as what I would call a form factor, whether you're doing highly articulated six-inch Marvel Legends or you're doing the Origins, which I would call articulated five-inch figures, um, it's it's not, it's in my mind, it's not a matter of you're trying to pay... Classic pays just as much homage to the vintage line that this origin line does. Mm-hmm. They're both homages and reinterpretations of the vintage line. But what Classic was, they re- it reinterpreted the vintage line 
in a form factor, meaning six-inch figures, I know they're a little bigger than six-inch, but that's, you know, because He-Man's always supposed to be a little bigger. And so, if you will, so it reinterpreted the vintage line in a form factor that fans were actively and are actively collecting. You know, like yeah. I said, my Marvel Legends and my Star Wars Black series and, you know, yada yada, they're mm-hmm. all six-inch and they live together. Yeah. Origins is, ju- is just taking the vintage line and reinterpreting it as a articulated vintage line which no one is collecting so it doesn't work with yeah that's what i mean when i say it's it was designed by a spreadsheet it sort of checked off a bunch of boxes it's like it's like that line in jurassic park when ian malcolm is saying you know you 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 did it you know you looked at it without thinking you know should i yeah i'm quoting (laughs) you know you know like they're just doing it because they can not necessarily because they should yeah Part of it, since you were talking about six inch and part of what always attracted me to the Masters universe was the vehicles. Do you think there would have been a limit if the line continued to the vehicles you would have done? Like, do you think you could have pulled off a Fright Flyer or a Blaster Hawk? I mean, hypothetically, we could. I mean, look, we did Castle Grayskull. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's like. We, we were going to, I wanted to do Eternia and just, we were going to do it as one tower a year, uh, you know, which would come with, <laughs> wow. would come with a third of the track so you could assemble it. And that would have been legendary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you just have to think out how you're releasing it and, you know, not do too much at once and space it out. And I mean, like if we could do Castle Grayskull, of course we could do any, you know, a vehicle. Hmm. Interesting. You know, talking about character selection, I really wanted, I was curious, uh, what are your thoughts about the character polls on He-Man.org that were conducted each year? I worked on them with Val Staples, and uh, I was always very curious, you know, what kind of impact it would have, uh, how useful it was to you and other people at Mattel for choosing which figures to produce. Um, It was more of a reassurance that we were on the right path as opposed to an influence only because, and it's funny, this is actually something I'm going to be mentioning in the Stratos video, which I'll be recording tomorrow. Um, Funny that you mention it. So, because when Stratos came out was when the rollout was designed, because that's when we knew we had uh, sort of a hit on our hands. So because we needed to ensure every year was strong, you know, I, I, had, I created like whatever that 10-year rollout was, you know, so that we didn't run out of characters too quickly. So, for example, the one I like to use is uh, Bikini Tila. She was always the June 2011 figure or whatever month she came out in 2011. People were asking for her back in 2009, you know, all the time on lists. Huh, so when she came out, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, they put this out because, like, you know, we were requesting her. But it was more like seeing her on the request list was more validation that we did it, that I was, you know, like the rollout was good, mm-hmm. if you will. Like we didn't make a mistake by putting her on there. Ver- there. Now there were, you know, that's not to say that there weren't characters that popped up like, oh God, we really should do that character. But honestly, I would say like 90% of the time, the characters were already on the rollout and they were there strategically to balance out each year. And the, the, fan request lists until the very end of the line when we when we burned through the, the, the original rollout, the fan request lists were much more validation than direction. Okay. Interesting. 
Well, when you talked about getting a feed, were you surprised by the fighting foemen reaction? So the um, doing the you talking about the the three pack? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I liked the figures, and I remember people kind of wanting them. And then when they came out, I remember the kind of negative backlash on them. And then I, I kept thinking, I don't think it's because they came out. I think it was kind of the price point that, you know, that might have caused some of the negative uh, feelings for it. Because, you know, three packs were a little pricey, you know. You know I th- and I think of, they would have been hard to do as single releases. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like you had to get them all out at once and just get it, like, get it over with. And I think back then they kind of didn't quite get them. I think now, which again, talking about ahead of its time, I think now they're a little more appreciated than when they came if, out. If I recall, I think they, that was the pack that kind of made us redo the rollout where we said, okay, we have to trim the fat because we're getting too deep and we're getting to the point that fans aren't wanting for this stuff. So we have to start focusing on the core you know, characters, like you know, trim the fat, if you will. And unfortunately, I kind of see it from both ends because if the way your original plan was looking at glimpses of your map, there would have been some frustration. You know, I mean, we we do want a uh, we do want a songster. You know, I I always wanted a songster, but I think had it had this line continued, and if I got just to give you an example, a songster before I got a ram man. I would have been a little perturbed because I would have been like, why am I getting Songster and not Ram Man? You know, and and that's always the catch 22. You know, you, you can't please them. But yet it's kind of frustrating, especially when we at the time we were getting them once a month, you know, and, and I have to say the best word I can say for this is addiction. I was addicted to getting this once a month <laughs> and I always look forward in my mail you know, and, or my wife sending me a text message from work saying, oh, one of your He-Mans came, you know, I'm going to open him up. And you know, <laughs> and I always had that addiction, but I always like, oh, am I getting this or oh, I'm getting this, you know, <laughs> and I, I know that was a balancing yeah, act. It was. That was exact. And, you know, when you use Ram Man as an example, he's a good example because he was 100 percent tool. Songster would have been you know, partial tool. So, like, from a logistics standpoint, Songster would have been way easier to do versus Ram Man. So that was a lot of times, you know, we could basically afford one or two fully tooled figures a year. So, you know, yes, we could have done Ram Man very early in the line, but he became a really good anchor for, I think, like 2013 or whatever year he came out and used up one of those precious, precious fully tooled spots. So, yeah, it was a dance. It was tough. And I think part of the frustration, too, and I guess, you know, wrapping things up a bit, uh, you know, was that we subscribed to your figures. We subscribed, which some of us had no problem. I'm like, okay, subscription, here you go. I'm signing up. Uh, Was that we didn't know what we were getting. And again, that was a good and bad. You know, and I think one of the reasons I tried to explain that was subscribers were basically playing the same role that retailers played for their lines. For a retailer, like Target, Toys R Us, whoever, if they were taking something like DC Universe Classics, they were only seeing the first five figures, but they were putting an entire year's order against the assortment. So it was, this, it was basically the reason that had to be was because that was part of the Mattel infrastructure. 
and we could only show publicly what was far enough along in production because things do change. And for a lot of legal reasons, you can't show stuff until it's at a certain point. So, yeah, I totally got it. I get it. We were, we were really asking people to take a leap of faith every single year. But it was no different than the leap of faith we were asking retailers to do. And because this line was sold directly to customers, to collectors, they basically had to, in, under, in, like in the Mattel system, they had to play the exact same role that a retailer would have to play. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it it does. It does, of course. But, you know, as collectors, we always want to know, you know, we were, I, I mean, I remember the excitement of reveals. You know, there was always that, you know, like if there was a new reveal, everybody would jump on it. Mm-hmm. I remember like on vacation when San Diego Comic-Con and my phone blowing up and you're at San Diego Comic-Con and you show too bad, you know, and everybody was freaking out. Yeah. Over well, that. Well, you know, and that was part of it, too, because you know, we didn't have a movie or a comic book or a TV series or anything else. So all we had was reveals in order to, you know, create or, you know, my posts online. Like, that was it. The only way we could get excitement out there. So that was all deliberate. Yeah, there really was, like, there was no advertising, which was a little frustrating to me throughout through all those long, wonderful years of classics is – uh, you know, even when there are uh, Masters of the Universe comic books, you would think there would be at least one page that would, wouldn't be a Batman advertisement or a Superman advertisement that it would be there would be something for classics. But it was such a it is such a big company, and yet it was such a small relative line. And and you did you had I feel feel like you had to do put so much work into it to just to make it work and to keep it going. I mean, you know, that's actually kind of a great, because I may have to wind it up. Um, and that's sort of a great way to, to kind of end it is that, you know, at Mattel, you know, like I was saying, sort of midway through our discussion, you know, the, the company is structured, and this isn't a bad thing. I'm not, you know, knocking Mattel for this. It's a factual thing. They're structured to put out these giant, huge, multi-billion dollar lines, which is why they're a successful company. So the, the way to think about it is, you think of it like a, a fleet of boats. So you have like, you know, the SS Hot Wheels aircraft carrier and the SS Barbie <laughs> aircraft carrier. And they're loaded with non-media and advertising budgets and spots and all sorts of bells and whistles. And they have a huge crew of people <laughs> spit shining it. And it's being set out to sail and it's got, you know, full engines, full you know, missile capacity or whatever, you know, you put on an aircraft carrier. Matty Collector was a leaky canoe. With <laughs> half of the front missing. Nice. And Thanks. I'm trying to paddle it down the river just to get to the damn ocean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every time fans complain to the Better Business Bureau or to Mattel or start making, you know, saying something online and it gets back to the executives, Right. It's like the fans are throwing boulders from cliffs into my canoe, destroying it as I'm going. <laughs> and I'm like, look, I'm just trying to get to the ocean, and you guys yeah. aren't helping. I know you're not happy, but you have no idea how hard it is to paddle this damn thing. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm seeing these giant boats out there with Hot Wheels and Barbie and WWE on them sailing off into the sunset. And, <sighs> you know, I've got my little, you know, broken paddle here trying to just get to the harbor. And that's basically what it was like. <laughs> 
Well, uh, just to just to again end uh, hitting the end here. Uh, what is Spectre Creative doing? Oh, good. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, always, always glad to plug my stuff. So, yeah. uh, one, we've got an awesome YouTube channel. Everybody should check out, which is Spectre Creative on YouTube. Um, you can search for that. And uh, there's all sorts of cool videos, mostly toy-related, a lot of He-Man stuff, he stuff, my thoughts on the toy industry, on toy trends. My daughter and I make talking cat videos because she thinks that's fun and she's nine. Um, and I also <laughs> do a video series teaching hieroglyphics because I also like hieroglyphics and I thought that would be fun. Um, that's what the YouTube channel is all about. It's mostly toy, like 90% toy stuff. You're not going to get lost in, the, in my daughter's cat videos too much. Um, <laughs> and then uh, spectrocreative.com is, so what we do is we do branding, content creation, and retail solutions. So essentially, if you have a product and you need help getting it prototyped, getting it to market, getting it to Target, to Walmart, Amazon, selling it on your own website. I have a variety of clients kind of up and down the aisle who either have ideas for product or, or have product but just need to you know, light a fire under it or need a story built around it. So sort of an all-in-one kind of creative house without having to hire a full-time employee uh, and it's not just me. I also work with child therapists, psychiatrists, and we really focus on the emotional connection between product and consumer. And like us with collectors, it's all about acquisition. And like you said, you became addicted and you couldn't wait to see it. That's kind of what we do is every project is always about what is it about the product that emotionally excites someone, not just about getting, you know, X product to X shelf. It's really why are we getting it to shelf? We, we, we would never do a product created by a spreadsheet. Everything is done because we love the product and we want to emotionally please people who buy it. And that's what SpectraCreative.com does. So stop on by or YouTube the channel because there's some awesome content out there. Well, I am enjoying your YouTube channels and uh, I've enjoyed watching. Uh, it's very informative. Again, my daughter enjoyed the cat videos. <laughs> <laughs> well that's good i'll tell my daughter your daughter enjoyed that yeah <laughs> but that's just kind of fun stuff we're doing again i do find it interesting and i i always look forward when our paths cross and i i've told you again you created something amazing you pushed masters of the universe you put you steered that little boat into a 10-year toy lane which is historic i mean that's the thing i gotta always point out how much I appreciate the work you've done. You did some history on this. Well, likewise, I thank you guys for supporting it because if you guys weren't supporting it year on year, I would have never gotten it. And all the fans and all the customers should really, you know, feel good about that too. Cause this was, this was sort of a joint handholding between me and everyone subscribing. Cause we couldn't have done this together. We couldn't have done it. Absolutely. Without Absolutely. And we do hope that again, our paths will cross again. I do hope that, Maybe we'll see you at a certain Comic-Con again once in a while. You oh, know? I can't imagine I won't be, yes. And the Power Cons and the San Diegos and the New York, I'll, I'll definitely be at many of them for many years to come. All right. We got to say thank you. Thank you for interviewing with us. And uh, we enjoyed and we look forward to watching more of your videos. So thank you for joining us, Scott. Thank you for having me. And I'm glad you enjoyed the videos. Definitely, everyone. Uh, and please subscribe and share them, everybody, out because... I don't, I'm not doing this like I don't. I'm not doing a Patreon thing or anything like that. I'm just doing this for fun. But it'd be nice to know there's at least enough people watching it 
to make it worth the time I'm taking to put these together. So, yeah, if you're watching them, I would definitely appreciate the subscribing and the sharing. When I'm only doing it for like 20 people, it's like, should I really be spending my time doing this? So, so thank well, you for the support on that. Well, there's people watching. I, I've had a lot of people mm -hmm. talk to me about it, and mm -hmm. they they yeah. do enjoy your information. You are very informative, so mm -hmm. they are. Well, awesome. <laughs> I'm glad they like them. That, the only reason I'm doing them is because I hope people enjoy <laughs>
Hightower version of him where he looks like he had tinnitus mail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is. one stands out out of all of them. I think he's the standout. The spikes are great, too. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of looks oh, 80s heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one that made me laugh, though, because, like, Beast Man in the, in the Toy Fair version made me laugh because of the pose they had him in. I just couldn't help it. But in, in this one, it's like Merman reminds me of Michelangelo from Ninja Turtles. He just has this, like, hey, dude. You know, he's Merman. got that vibe about him. <laughs> I'm loving Merman. Merman looks awesome. Well, what I mean by that, I love everything about him. The face is way too friendly for Merman. That's what, all I'm trying to say is it, it, he looks a little too, hey, guys. You know, like, <laughs> it's like the next words would be, I'm Pixel Man. You know, it's got that vibe about it. <laughs> it, it there's a high energy to him. That I don't feel Merman should have. Merman should be a little less happy and a little more, not menacing, grumpy? but just grumpy. Or so, yes, yeah, so I'm out of the water, you know, like I don't like this or whatever, <laughs> you know. But I don't know. Like that one, I love all the details, though. Everything about that one is is like, man, that's the one I wanted when I was a kid, you know, even more than even classics right now. Yeah, I know that the Merman's going to be super popular with collectors, and uh, I can see why. I mean, the the Merman head it it looks like the the you know it, it looks I think like it should just because of you know previous uh, what we've seen previously with classics and how he appeared on the card back art that sort yeah. of thing. Uh, but you know, my my thought about these figures is that. My first thought is, okay, so my goal, my hope is that we get the mini comics characters, a mini comics Skeletor, Beastman, all the rest. And looking at these, I'm wondering, okay, are we going to get actual mini comic variants or are these as close to those as we're going to get? Oh, these are not even touching mini comics. I think mini comic designs are within reach. I just think this is an offshoot. And you can miss out on these and still be fine. But if you're a, an everything collector, which is turning out I am, I need to get these. Right. Well, and I see that some of this, and I just wanted to mention that I see a, the, the some of these sculpted pieces uh, like Skeletor's armor, his uh, shin, you know, his shins, and uh, a lot of the, you know, all of the sculpting on Merman. I mean, those would be perfect for a mini comic variants. I just yeah. hope that we do see those down the line either. And hopefully um, it would be fantastic if we could get those at retail rather than at a comic book convention, you know, at a convention price point. But either way, as long as we get them, I'd be thrilled. Well, I would definitely argue that I feel that, like you, Sean, that the uh, mini comic variants would add into Origins. I kind of look at these like they're a big cash grab for Mattel Cash their uh, funds to be able to produce the origin Well, the the one uh, the one thing that I heard a lot since the reveals, and I I I can't say I don't I don't disagree with this is for the name Origins to be the umbrella term for this toy line. There's a lot of people that are like, well, this is what they were hoping it would be to begin with, instead of how the line is introduced, the way it's been going, going back to the roots like this. So, like, for me and for some other people I know, it, it, they're looking at this going, this is what we were hoping it was to begin with. 
And, you know, it would have been kind of cool to go from the ground up and have like a new point of view of the line compared to just here's articulated 5.5 figures again in that way. Um, so I, I personally like these had me more excited than any of the reveals they've done to this point because it's something at least that I never got in this way before. That's kind of why I like any of the new versions of stuff is it's something that when I look at my shelf, it's going to, it's going to show me this is a new step in another direction for the line versus let's just give you something with articulation this time around. So I, I've, I appreciate these much more than I would have expected to be honest. I would really like a, a good look at that He-Man head. It's interesting that it's angled in the photo. Uh, given that the hair is darker, I think that, I mean, his sculpt could be much closer to the vintage head. I really want a good look at that. He does seem to have a vintage head. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was looking at. And I find it interesting that this time it's men at arms who has the knife in the boot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and he has a bigger club. Yeah, that's the classics club. Yeah, he's got the classics club. And, you know, and I think we've talked about it is that... um, Men at Arms has, I guess, a shaven, or somebody mentioned he has the shaven face, and he has the, uh, well, obviously the the helmet is different, but it would have been nice, like, I could switch out the helmet, you know, because on our last show, we talked about how I wish I had a choice, you know, Classics did that right, that I had a choice between yeah. which figure I had, and, oh. You know, Maddie is um, Mattel's not giving me a choice with these origin figures, and I am I am digging them. I'm like, okay, this is history, but I I think I think that uh, as the line progresses, we're going to have several different uh, man at arms, several different he men, and uh, and so on, and so we're going to be able to build the the figure that we want. It's it's wonderful that these figures are interchangeable. I was just going to say I was a little bit disappointed with the man in arms figure that he's not coming with the fur cape that uh, he had the original uh, description back of the Yeah. I've made several fur capes for my figures, and it, that'll be a really fun custom to add that uh, fur cape to him. Well, part of it is, is that I keep looking at him, and I do like certain designs. You know, Merman... As we can joke, yeah, he is smiling. <laughs> I like his armor design, and I he's love his awesome. Well, he's happy to be represented in the way he was intended. <laughs> That's what it is in this in this case. It's like I I'm not ever gonna say that it's a bad thing at all the way that he looks. It's just that was my when I look at it, my knee jerk reaction was he's Michelangelo. Like he's so happy. That's I don't know, but <laughs> but no, it, like honestly, he's probably the one. And, and Skeletor is right there for me, where it's like those those work for me. And even though Skeletor is not the greatest looking man there, I'd still like that one over what they're offering in the, in the mass market. I, I like the overall aesthetic of him, the look of him. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely some good things about this, but you know, it, it's going to be, there's some people that will have them and then there's going to be people like me. So it's okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm that guy. Like I said, I'm the odd man out here. So I'm <laughs> excited all of them, um, but He-Man, I'm wondering, what do you guys think something is that he does not have the knife in this time? I know Super 7 did the G-Pack with Prince Adam, He-Man, and they put the knife in the boot of town, but do you think we'll see that iteration in the, uh, 
origin was an icon I think maybe just probably aesthetics. You know, I mean, they, they put the knife on Man-at-Arms. He-Man doesn't have one, and I'm thinking, well, you know, let's not spend that much. You know, that knife, we did that on the other He-Man. I think it's, I, I don't think it's as complicated as we think it is. Well, we could absolutely see it again if they give us a pack of mini-comic characters or single-carded exclusives. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll need a mini-comic He-Man uh, representing that group. I would love to see a mini-comic He-Man team with G-Pack. Well, yeah. I, I want to go on record. Absolutely. I, I just want to go on record really quick to say uh, my prediction and my hope is at San Diego Comic-Con we'll get a two-pack, uh, Origins two-pack, that includes Goddess and that purple uh, monster that she's fighting in the first uh, vintage mini-comic. Uh, with an Ular. Yeah. With an Ular. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Yeah, and an Ular. Make it a three-pack. Or, yeah. or a two-pack without the monster, either way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would love to have that purple monster yeah. and somehow package, how, open up the package, and it has the monster and Ular fighting him with the goddess on the side. Like, somehow yeah, yeah. work out that package. That would yeah. be awesome. That'd be Something that would be kind of cool with the Origins line in general, and this to me is like a step towards that, is we had the William Stout collection in classics, and, you know, that, that like, heralded kind of the end of that before the hibernation began and all that with how many fans or masters fans you would think that mattel would love to just do a here's the alfredo alcala line and have that as a tribute to the beginning of the mini that would be a that would be one where it's like sign me up i would do that in a heartbeat because there are so many fans at, at this point that you know, we, it, how how often when you talk to a Masters fan would you hear Alfredo Alcala's name in any way, shape, or form? I'd say right. it's a 50-50 shot, if not better, you know? And mm-hmm. this, this to me, is the, the step towards if they would go that route and have, like, a, a something honoring some of the creators who have touched the brand and made a really long-lasting impression on us fans, you know? That'd be really cool. In Alcala, well, go ahead. To me, that's it. Wouldn't be so much like an issue. It's more of a. It's you know, William Stout had the designs that he created for the movie, and it was him finally getting that out there and his due because he did that, and the whole complication with Mattel with you know the background behind that. But like to me, it would be, like I Alfredo Alcala was a hired artist to do the line. It wasn't like he was somebody who was like a Mark Taylor or a Roger Sweet to the line. And the thing is, for somebody like me in 1982, buying these figures, my mom buying these for me, he's the one that fed my imagination the most because that was the artwork I was using in my head to say, this is that world. It's like he was the building block foundation of this. And that's kind of why I'd love to see something like that, like if they did that. And then I know even in classics, they were saying like the Mark Texera Skeletor would have been a cool head sculpt, you know, to do eventually because... His was slightly different than Alcala and stuff. 
having things like that where it's like this line can also do these tributes to people who made an impression on the fans growing up that would be really cool i don't know if they ever plan to do that but i'm throwing it out there if somebody's listening hey <laughs> that would be a really cool concept for especially calling it origins because th- that was the origin for me you know that was my origin was the alcala uh the look and the feel that he brought yeah. to it you're absolutely right and alcala was just a legend and uh you know a, a collection with would be beautiful and i would love to see them packaged with you know new like remakes of the original those original mini comics like yeah Mm -hmm. they they could make it just fantastic yeah well and on top of that a lot of the stuff that they're doing as as artwork for it is very much influenced and nodding and homages to that and that's the other reason i brought it up is there's definitely this flavor of that's now the new cool for this line, even though it was always cool. You know, it's always been right. Well, one thing I'm curious about is that we noticed him had his uh, ask, but we don't see the power sword. And I'm curious if yeah. uh, we think that we're going to be getting a power sword in the, uh, the uh, power conference. Maybe not. We'll see. It's hard to tell. I mean, we just saw this one picture, so. Um, I'm excited to see the box. I mean, I know the box is going to be cool. Yeah. That's what I'm waiting on, too, to see what, how they're going to do the packaging. Are they going to have them individual or as one big one? Yeah. I'm going to be a package, I hope. I honestly hope. I mean, at this point, at this point, we don't know much. We just know that's coming and. Um, I can vouch that these are going to be solid toys. So, we, you know, we are going to get some bang for our buck. It is worth it just because of the price range that, you know, 200 bucks is nothing to sneeze at. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's it's worth it to us collectors. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And, and I'm you excited know, about the Shiro from Origin 2. She's, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say it's I we don't know if we're gonna get a mini comic with that set, but we we are going to for sure get a mini comic with the Shira uh, exclusive, which will be a lot of fun. I'm gonna say it. Seeing her in her, her in her original incarnation actually made me smile when they released that. Um, like I never was a big collector of Princess of Power, but I had that figure because she was He Man's sister. You know, I felt like that had to be a part of my collection as a kid. And to see her in that way, it's like I know everybody thinks filmation, but I'm like, but there was something before that. And this, I never thought that design was all that bad. I actually thought it was really unique for her in that way. She looked powerful, but she also had a femininity. And uh, it's really cool to see it brought back, and especially for the anniversary you know, on top of that. So, Well, I keep thinking, what does it mean that we have a Shira Origins figure? We're probably going to get a Shira Origins line with the uh, from various figures from the Shira collection. Yeah, I mean, pretty cool. they, they haven't announced it or said anything directly, but that's what I'm thinking. Is Shira officially in the Origins? Are we going to see Princess of Power figures? In the origins. Well, the one thing that's cool about it to me is at least this time around, they're not going to be two separate body types that you're having to push together to make this world. They're going to be the same body type for the women 
as Tila and, and Evelyn. So then there's a feeling of that, like for, for us collectors, there is that continuity throughout the line. Then it feels like they're all supposed to be in, in it then, you know, except she, she has the, the combable hair though. And Tila and Evelyn obviously do not. But. I've heard some comments on Facebook about their concern about her. And I'm not sure what the issue is with the need for She-Ra, Evelyn, and Tila, but they look fine to me. The robot knees. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned it. I was like, oh, those knees again. Those yeah. knees are just... Oh, they do bother. Once you see them, you can't unsee them, huh? Yeah, that's that's going to be the differentiating thing about this line is I'm, I'm if I get them, I'm never going to look at them and see them as like a full blown action figure the way that I think Mattel intends, because I'm just going to see those knees mm-hmm. and just go, you got flaps. They're mud flaps. What the <laughs> heck is going on with this thing? And, and it's, it, you know, it's like I appreciate what they're trying to do. They're trying to hide articulation points so that it looks like a fully here's here's this without any any uh, showing you that this is a figure in that way where the articulation's hidden, but it's hidden to the point where it's like, no, it's under there. I can say, you know, it's like the shadows <laughs> prove it's under there, you know, and and that's that's gonna just drive me nuts. It's like loose loose ankles were my bane of existence with classics. In this line, it's just gonna be no, you get flaps, you know, <laughs> there are flaps. <laughs> you know, the figure overall, I think, looks really very well done. Uh, I the only thing that really bothers me is just the the shield looks so flat. You know, I, I was looking at the vintage toy and the classics toys and and they had, you know, they were a little more uh, round, whereas this one's just like, you know, pretty flat. Maybe uh, they should have gone with uh, knee-high boots. Knee-high what? Knee-high boots. Oh, knee-high boots. <laughs> oh, if there was a design that called for it. Yeah, no, I mean, we don't need the go-go boots. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say when they do the golden armor, Shira. Yeah, why not? You know, or bring back those fashion, you know, designs for Shira. Yeah. But oh yeah, those knees are still. But I am glad they're doing cloth skirts, and you know, they're really touching on the vintage toy. Well, her. and and of course, it's this is the the exclusive exclusive one, so most likely we're gonna see just plastic. You know, assuming that we get uh, her in the regular Origins line. Well, that's the thing. I don't see why not now that they officially got her. I mean, if they were able to make her as an exclusive, they can release her. You know, I'm just saying for the same reason that we're getting plastic for Prince Adam's vest and for Scareglow's cape and such. Yeah, Um, I'm just saying I'm excited that it seems that they worked out the issues. Mm hmm. With Tila, I mean with uh, Shira, yeah, and they can now fully release all the Princes of Power, and you know that's that's the one thing I'm being optimistic about this line. I know with classics, yes, we've got 200 plus figures, and um, I understand that some people just don't want to go through that again. But I'm excited that I get to go through that again. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I consider that a good thing. I, I do look forward to seeing some designs again. I do look forward to, oh, I'm going to see Battle Armor He-Man again and see mm-hmm. what they do. Maybe they will bring back the the rolling chest option. Maybe uh, we will see, uh, uh, again, uh, 
laser light Skeletor and He-Man and maybe they'll do a little farther again and they'll bring back new adventures with, yeah. you know, Hydron and... And overall, it'll be a lot cheaper. Yeah. Maybe hmm. again, a Ram Man with the feature again. Why not? That would be cool. And at PowerCon, yes. they said, when asked, they said at PowerCon that, well, yeah, we could possibly release uh, Origins, some, you know, additional Origins figures that have action features that are just a little uh, more pricey than the regular figures. Well, Ram Man would be a little slightly bigger. He always was, but uh, he was less plastic, technically. He just had a spring mechanism. You know, they could easily... Making that look too hard. Yeah. I'd like to thank Scott Knightlick again for joining us. And remember to get all your up-to-the-minute news about Motu from He-Man.org. And if you haven't purchased them, PowerCon tickets are on sale now. Go to thepower-con.com to purchase. Until next time, good journey. This is Renee. I'd like to thank you all for joining us. It was a great time talking to Scott. A um, lot of great info from the guy. I, I could sit and talk to him all day, but he's a guy who has a million things to do. And it is so nice of him that he took time to talk to us. Uh, thank you again, Scott, for joining us. Hopefully our paths will run again some at some Comic-Con. I know it will. I'd like to thank you all again for joining us. We had a great time, great time recording this. To catch the latest nerd news, be sure to subscribe to Nerds on the Couch and to subscribe to Council of the First Ones podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Rex. I'd like to uh, thank you all for having me going late into the episode today. It was great to be here and uh, good turn. This is David. This was a lot of fun today and uh you know a great episode i wanted to thank scott so much for you know joining us and i wanted to encourage everybody to please visit adultcollector.org for all of your he-man and she news and good journey guys and this is sean uh thank you uh scott for joining us today that was awesome i'm sad that 2000x classics did not happen though and um i also wanted to give a shout out thank you podcasters of the universe steve and jeremy over on that show uh they gave us a shout out about our melon brit episode and that was really awesome to hear that if you want to find me online uh find me at october sun art on facebook until next time good journey guys this has been a nerds on the couch production in association with adultcollector.org